The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cover Across the Airwaves, the podcast dedicated to the weekly TV show episode reviews, along with news and opinions on the entertainment industry. Guy of the Edge your host. And with me is a guy who is the one reliable figure in a sex fist. My co-host. Hey, everybody, it's Nico, and welcome to Across the Airwaves. On this week's episode, we will continue to cover the new series of Doctor Who with an in-depth discussion on the Season 8, Episode 5, episode entitled Time Heist, and the premiere of New Girls Season 4 with The Last Wedding. And as always, we will also bring you all the TV and entertainment news of the week in the News with Nico section. And with that, we've got everyone's favorite section, News with Nico. Nick Frost to guest star in Doctor Who Christmas Special. Hot Fuzz star Nick Frost is headed to the TARDIS this Christmas. The BBC has announced that Frost will make a return to television as a guest star in this year's Doctor Who Christmas Special. Frost says he is such a huge fan of the series, he was torn because by agreeing to be in the show and running through the read-through, he kept thinking, no, 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 no spoilers. Yet every day on the set was a boyhood dream come true. Frost is joined by Natalie Grum, Faye Marseille, Nathan McMullen, and Michael Troughton, whose father played the second incarnation of the Doctor. This Christmas special show marks Peter Capaldi's first holiday episode as the Doctor. Although production has begun, there are no details on the special story yet. So look for that on Christmas. Ben McKenzie injured on Gotham set. Star Ben McKenzie, who plays Jim Gordon on Fox's upcoming DC series Gotham, posted a couple of pictures on Instagram earlier this week, on his birthday actually, showing off a head injury he received on the set during a fight scene. Apparently things got intense during this particular brawl, and McKenzie's head met with a concrete pillar, causing him to need stitches. The actor is doing fine now, and will return to work on Monday. Netflix not streaming Arrow Season 2 until October. On September 14th, Arrow fans everywhere were huddled up at their computers with the expectation that they'd get to spend the next few days binging, some for the first time, the second season of the beloved CW series. In fact, IGN and Nerdist were so excited that they each prepared a list of much-watched episodes before Season 3 kicked off next month. However, despite the long-standing information that the season would drop on September 14th, it ended up never hitting the service, leaving many confused. But things became clear earlier this week as Netflix revealed that Season 2 of Arrow was pushed from its September rollout date to October 8th, the day of the Season 3 premiere. This, of course, is ridiculous because that leaves absolutely no time to get caught up on or re-watch Season 2 in preparation for Season 3's premiere. The reason for this shift is unknown and a little confounding since the new date will leave zero time for any new viewers of the show to catch up prior to the Season 3 premiere as well as the series premiere of Flash the day before, which has its roots in the second season of Oliver Queen's Adventure. While there's no set rule for when Netflix has to roll out new seasons of series, they have under contract. It is strange for the company to flat out pull the plug in the 11th hour of the series, especially on a series as hot as Arrow. One possible scenario is the CW fearing they'd lose audience if viewers thought that there was no need to watch the show live since it'll always be available to stream with enough time to spare before the new season started, asked Netflix to hold season 2 until closer to season 3's start date. But again, in my opinion, that just hurts season 3's potential growth by not allowing new viewers to get caught up before the premiere. For now, if you want to catch up on Arrow before the new season starts, all the episodes are still available on iTunes and Amazon for a premium, or you could do the unhonest thing and go and torrent them all. I'm not suggesting that, I'm just saying it is an option.
The Flash enlists Barry Allen's original love interest as Star Lab's rival. Barry Allen is reuniting with his old love. Well, sort of. The CW's Flash reboot has tapped original CBS series star Amanda Pays to reprise her role as Dr. Tina McGee. The genetics expert was the main ally and love interest of The Flash, played by John Wesley Shipp, who recurs as Barry Allen's father on the CW series. On the Arrow spinoff, Dr. McGee returns to Central City as an employee of a rival company to Star Labs. Just a reminder, The Flash premieres Tuesday, October 7th at 8, 7 central. Skull Island adds Tom Hiddleston and director Jordan Vogt Roberts. Ever since Legendary announced at Comic-Con that they'd be taking us to King Kong's homeland in the forthcoming Skull Island, I've been filled with question after question. Is this the start of a shared cinematic universe between King Kong, Godzilla, and the other kaiju? Who will star? Who will direct? Will we see where King Kong was born? Well, today we have an answer to two of those questions, and they have me very hopeful for the Max Bornstein's penned film. In a press release today, Legendary revealed that Tom Hiddleston, a.k.a. Loki, a.k.a. Hank Williams, aka everyone's favorite Avenger who isn't an Avenger, will be starring in Skull Island. No other details about the role were, were released. Additionally, Legendary has tapped Jordan Vogt Roberts to direct the monster movie. Vogt Roberts first burst onto the scene with his Sundance hit The Kings of Summer and has gone on to direct several episodes of FX freshman comedy You're the Worst, Nick Offerman Ad American Ham, and is set to direct Sony's forthcoming Metal Gear Solid adaptation. If this really is the start of a Legendary's kaiju-filled shared cinematic universe, then the addition of these two has me feeling pretty good about the whole endeavor. My one regret is that we'll likely never get to see Hiddleston interacting with Brian Cranston as they try to prevent Godzilla and King Kong from destroying the eastern seaboard. Oh well, Skull Island hits theaters on November 4th, 2016. Boom Studios is rolling out a Sleepy Hollow comic. In advance of the Fox's series' second season premiere on September 22nd, Boom Studios is stepping up to the plate with a newly announced Sleepy Hollow four-issue comic series from writer Marguerite Bennett from Batman Joker's Daughter and artist Jorge Chiello from Polarity that will tell new original stories set within the Sleepy Hollow verse. Each issue will also feature a backup story written by Noel Stevenson from Lumberjanes 2. The comic hits store shelves on October 15th. Yeah, that's a little bit off, but still pretty awesome. But there are sneak peeks of the first issue covers featuring art by Phil Nato and Jorge Chiello. Here's the official synopsis. After dying on the battlefield during the Revolutionary War, Ichabod Crane awakes in present-day Sleepy Hollow, New York. His resurrection is tied to the reappearance of the Headless Horseman, one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Realizing it is his mission to help stop the end of the world, Ichabod teams with Sleepy Hollow PD's Lieutenant Abby Mills to meet each evil threat head-on. When minor miracles start Start to sweep the town, they're glad something good seems to be happening for once. No decapitations, no headless horsemen, no worries, right? But as one by one the miracles start to backfire more and more violently, Abby and Ichabod must find time between saving the world to save the citizens of Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow number one hits stores on October 15th. Look for it then. DC Comics Lucifer pilot in the works at Fox. Fox is reportedly making a deal with the devil. A drama based on the DC Comics Lucifer has been given a put pilot commitment at Fox, according to Deadline. The potential series would find Lucifer, who appeared as a supporting character in DC's Neil Gaiman's Sandman series before landing his own spinoff, abandon hell to open a swanky piano bar in Los Angeles called Lux. Tom Capinos from Californication will reportedly write and executive produce, while Warner Brothers TV will produce with Capinos' aggressive mediocrity. Remember, a put pilot is a deal wherein a network will owe a studio a significant monetary penalty if it does not air the pilot, and all but guarantees the pilot will be picked up. I know almost nothing about the DC Lucifer character, but if Fox is this confident about it, then I'll definitely give it a try.
Aerocast Spartacus's Nick Terabay as Captain Boomerang. Digger Harness, aka DC's Captain Boomerang, is headed to Starling City for Arrow Season 3. According to EntertainmentWeekly.com, Nick Terabay, who played the scheming Asher on Stars as Spartacus, has signed on for a multi-episode arc as a villain who has both comic connections to the Flash and the Suicide Squad. On Arrow, Harkness will be a former Argus operative, highly skilled in martial arts and espionage, with a deadly thirst for vengeance against his former employers. The character will appear in the seventh episode of Arrow's third season, and then again in the eighth, which is the big CW crossover episode with The Flash. Terabay is the fourth Spartacus actor to be cast on Arrow following Manu Bennett, who of course played Slade Wilson, Katrina Law, who plays Nisa Al Ghul, and Cynthia Adai Robinson, who plays Amanda Walker. Keep an eye out for Captain Boomerang in Episode 7 and The Flash crossover in Episode 8. WB wants to recruit Training Day writer David Ayer for the Suicide Squad film. Warner Brothers might have found someone to lead their Suicide Squad, and that's End of Watch writer-director David Ayer. Also, holy crap, it looks like Warner Brothers is developing a Suicide Squad movie. Did we miss this, or is this just a double announcement? Variety reports that the studio is in talks with Ayer in the hopes of bringing the DC Comics team to the big screen. Along with the studio's previously announced Justice League, that would give Warner and DC two super team movies between now and 2020, making their debut all the way back in 1987 the Suicide Squad is DC's answer to the Dirty Dozen and one of my all-time favorite comic concepts. Kidnapped by the government, a group of supervillains are forced to go on deadly missions for the man or they'll be killed. Operating under the cover of Bell Reeve Penitentiary, mastermind Amanda Waller has been keeping the squad out there doing the dirty that superheroes wouldn't. The lineup has changed frequently over the years, although Deadshot usually makes his way onto the team somehow. In its current incarnation, the lineup includes Harley Quinn, Deadshot, Black Manta, Deathstroke, and Joker's daughter. If DC can find a way to get bronze tiger and chemo up in that film i think a whole lot of people will be there opening day justin marks from the jungle book and street fighter the legend of chun li is working on the script although given air's possible involvement i wouldn't be surprised if the director took a crack at the script himself if he accepts the job he usually prefers to write and direct his features Ayer's latest film is the world war ii tank drama fury starring brad pitt that film will be in theaters october 17th this is pretty cool news and i'm excited about a possible suicide squad movie Fox announces shuffle to release schedule of Deadpool, Fantastic Four, and Assassin's Creed. Did someone say there is a Tim Miller-directed Deadpool film coming in 2016? Damn straight they did. Looks like the Merc with a mouth didn't need to say much himself because the internet made it abundantly clear that they wanted a Deadpool movie. After the mammoth response to the leaked Deadpool footage earlier this summer, it was just a matter of time until Fox realized they'd been sitting on a cash cow. Sure, they nearly torpedoed any chance of the film ever happening with that terrible X-Men Origins, but thankfully we're getting the Deadpool movie we've been craving. 20th Century Fox and Marvel announced today that Deadpool, directed by Tim Miller, written by Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, and starring Ryan Reynolds, will be hacking and slashing its way into theaters on February 12, 2016. Now, technically, Ryan Reynolds isn't officially attached to star in this film, but we're betting it's only a matter of time until they make things official, especially since he said he is still very excited about doing this film. However, one does not simply drop a Deadpool movie into the schedule without creating a ripple effect across the entirety of Fox's genre lineup. The Michael Fassbender starring a Assassin's Creed adaptation, which was originally slated for August 7th, 2015, has been pushed back to 2016 due to production delays, scheduling issues, and script rewrites have delayed that production, according to insiders close to the project. Who will move into the newly vacated August 7th slot? None other than Josh Trank's Fantastic Four reboot starring Miles Teller, Michael B. Jordan, Kate Mara, and Jamie Bell, of course. Fantastic Four's original June 19th, 2015 release date will be filled by the adaptation of John Green's Paper Towns, presumably to capitalize on the success of The Fall of Our Stars, which had a similar summertime release. One thing's for sure, 2015 and 2016 are going to be some serious kick-ass years for fans of genre cinema.
Finally, CBS orders Supergirl series. Once the only network staying out of the whole new massive comic book TV show arena, CBS is going all in with the new Supergirl show, which they've given an official series commitment to, bypassing both the in-development and pilot stages. Supergirl, a new one-hour drama, will come to us from Berlanti Productions, both Arrow and The Flash on the CW are Berlanti Productions, in association with Warner Brothers Television. Greg Berlanti and Ali Adler from Chuck and No Ordinary Family will serve as writers while also serving as executive producers along Alongside Sarah Schechter. Based on the characters from DC Comics, Supergirl will follow Kara Zor-El. Born on the planet Krypton, Kara escaped amid its destruction years ago, and since arriving on Earth, she's been hiding the powers she shares with her famous cousin. But now at age 24, she decides to embrace her superhuman abilities and be the hero she was always meant to be. So far, crossovers between the DC projects on other networks and the CW's Arrow and The Flash have seen unlikely, but Berlanti's participation in Supergirl will certainly raise questions regarding whether or not this series could be connected to the other two DC shows, despite being on different networks. Here's hoping because that would be awesome. And that's the news with Nico for this week. All right. With that, we're going to jump into the main section for this week. As it has been for the last four weeks, we're going to talk about Doctor Who with this week's episode, the fifth of season eight entitled Time Heist. The Doctor attempts to break into the into the most dangerous bank in the cosmos. This week's episode was described by Peter Capaldi and Stephen Moffat as a mix between Ocean's Eleven and 2001 A Space Odyssey. Doc- Doctor Who is nothing if not an excuse for writers to get to do anything and everything they've always wanted to do within the bounds of the show's central tenets, and sometimes even beyond those. Now, a few weeks ago, Mark Gaddis clearly wanted to do a thing with the fictional depiction of Robin Hood, and so, why the heck not, he did it. Who's to say Doctor Who can't be any kind of movie or TV show it wants to be? Why not a heist movie? Those are always a fun subgenre anyway, so let's see Doctor Who do it. And that's exactly what we got. Now, what are the what exactly are the hallmarks of those types of films? A group of mismatched robbers, an intricate plot for the robbery, several misdirections and red herrings, and often a resolution you don't see coming until it's right upon you. That's right up Stephen Moffat's alley, and, and Steve Thompson too, who is his co-writer in this episode, given they both right on Sherlock as well. Seems like Time Heist was an inevitable storyline for these two great writers to put together. And after last week's great episode, Listen, which I found to be brilliant and among the best of this new Season 8's episodes, all Time Heist really had to do for me was not screw up the momentum from last week and be entertaining and fun. And that's largely what it was. Directed by the excellent Douglas McKinnon, this episode was almost exactly what it said in the title, a heist having to do with time. Peter Capaldi, as I mentioned before in an introductory video called it Ocean's Eleven meets 2001. Well, he nailed the first part anyway, but I'm not sure how like Kubrick's Space Odyssey this truly was, and you know what? I'm glad about that. I'm not a huge 2001 fan. Heist movies don't need to be deep or psychedelic. They just have to be enjoyable and make sense. If we're being truly honest, that's actually all any kind of movie really needs to be. Enjoyable and make sense. That it succeeded in keeping us guessing and unsure for at least half of the episode was a real bonus. Now, Dan, did you enjoy this week's episode and its heist movie plot and did it keep the momentum going for you enjoying Peter Capaldi as the new doctor that last week's listen really kicked off for you 
Yeah, I think so. Okay, at a very good pace. Mm-hmm. I think it fits this tone of this Doctor a little more. God, I'm accepting it as more of a darker show now. Okay. God, but it's still, you know, I know you said, guys, movie doesn't need to be deep. God, but it had this deep, the deepest you come to expect from a Doctor Who episode. Yeah. So I like that. God, I like how they had kind of had a normal, peaceful morality to it. Okay. Which was good. God, and, and again, the message of this wasn't to steal either. Right. Which I liked. I liked that twist. Yeah, no. <laughs> but it still was fun. Oh, yeah. It was great. I really enjoyed the heist genre going Doctor Who style. Quad, it's a big thing of, I mean, there's a lot of British heist films, so it really was perfect for something Doctor Who to do. Because we, there are movies out there like The Peg Job, Lock Stock, yep. that this fit into perfectly. Absolutely. So it's time for Doctor Who to give it a, give it a whirl. Yeah, and, and the secret of any great heist story is a watertight plot. I guess I'd also argue that it needs a great reveal as well, and I think this episode did both of those. And they had a couple. Yeah, well, at least for the most part, this episode did it. And I'll get to where it didn't in my final section, but I felt that Time Heist did just about everything that it needed to be to be yeah. a great heist movie. In many respects, Respects, this episode was just as sexy and smart as any of the Oceans movies or Mission Impossible movies, but yeah. even better because it was the Doctor and Clara. I mean, how many times have you seen a bank heist tale in which even the hustlers don't know why or what they're supposed to be hustling? That narrative twist sold me on this concept, a concept courtesy of some memory wiping worms that kickstarts the episode and propels the Doctor, Clara, and two snazzily augmented accomplices on a pace that never truly lets up. Like you said, Dan, the pace in this was excellent. It really yes. kept us moving and had that upbeat momentum that a heist movie really needs. And they did uh, that excellently. Because they provided us with a lot of questions. Uh-huh. Kind of getting those answers is really what absorbed us into this. Yeah, and I think having woken up with a serious case of the mementos, not yes. really knowing what was going on, the four were swiftly informed by the shadowy, almost Vader-clothed architect yeah. that they had all signed up to break into the universe's most unbreachable safe hold, the Bank of Carabroxis. An instantly intriguing plot hook was ably supported by a host of great who concepts a cheeky authority defying sense of humor as always some eyebrow raising of course some unguessable plot twists and head imploding psychic minotaur with head penises aside a farscapishly well-designed wonderfully realized oh, yeah. monster of the week that was great i thought this was a great monster of the week uh, well i loved it how they made it so scary mm-hmm. and then at the end exactly it wasn't so much exactly now this was part and they had some great supporting characters as well. Well, they always do. <laughs> but I really like the idea of the guy with the chips that could erase memories. Yep. Kind of shapeshifter. That was done beautiful. Yep. Now, part born identity because of the memory loss. Part BBC's yeah. hustle, snappy editing tricks galore. I really enjoyed those kind of cu- jump cuts yeah. and the different dissolves and things of that nature. It was technically a very well put together episode. And also part Ocean's Eleven because of the crackpot yeah. rogues taking on an impossible challenge. This episode, Time Heist, may not have boasted many goofy smiles or slapstick spoon fights, but it was fun from start to finish. And that was the main yeah. thing I needed out of this episode. So Dan, what were some of your favorite parts of this episode? I really liked the supporting characters. Of course. I, I just thought that was just a great twist on the whole shapeshifter concept where anyone she touched, you turned into. Yes. Because normally when you're a shapeshifter, I mean, you think of someone like Mystique, who could be anyone. Yeah, it's also... You think of that as an advantage. Yeah, as a, it, because it's voluntary. But right. she would she would change into anyone she touched without any control of it. Can I like that? I thought that was very creative. 
creative. Yeah, the tragic touch I mean, of that. Yeah. Yep. Kind of the other guy erasing his memory. Kind of his friends and family and all of that. That was very interesting too. Yeah. It, it was great. God, I'm glad that they didn't die. Yes. You know, that's the normal sci-fi movie route to go, or sci-fi story route to go, where the additional characters get picked off one by one. Mm-hmm. And I was very happy that that didn't go down. Because yes. it's a heist movie. Yes. He wanted me to get off scot-free, kind of. I mean, it would have been like one of Danny Ocean's gang going down. Right. And we would have hated that. Absolutely. So I'm glad it paid off that way. God, I love the twist with the monster. Yep. Did not see that coming. Yeah, and speaking about that monster, this week's monster was was well-defined. Oh, yeah. I had such a problem last week, despite the brilliance of that episode, with the lack of a well-defined adversary. This week's teller was not only a, as I described him before, farscapish, well-designed, wonderfully realized monster of the week, but also a, a well-defined character in general. Because of that twist at the end and us getting to know him, I did have a few problems with him, which I'll get into in a moment, but I love the concept of him feeding on guilt and being used as a security system in the bank to read people's guilty thoughts about robbing the bank. Although I do wonder if that would work on a psychopath because they don't feel guilt. So that's an interesting thought I just had. Would a psychopath be able to get in and out of this impregnable bank because their security system is designed most or at least the teller is designed to to register guilt. Yeah. So that's interesting. I mean he wouldn't be able to get past any of the DNA locks but apparently if you have a shapeshifter that doesn't matter. (laughs) Exactly. So, Dan, uh, what were your thoughts about this week's monster? I know we got into it a little bit, but do you have anything further you want to talk about? I, I mean, I loved it how he was so scary. Mm-hmm. Because especially in the scene where he almost got Clara. Yes. And then they turned it all around to him being a, a creature that was really just as innocent because everybody else. Mm-hmm. Doctor Who normally doesn't do that. It's the monster and it stays the monster. So I like that they did a twist on their usual pattern. Well, I'm going to argue with that in a, a little bit because, you know, we'll jump right into my problems with the episode. Well, because and I liked it how God, the doctor wasn't stealing. Yes. Like, it didn't make sense why he would be involved in that. Right, right. There had to be another motive. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, why would the doctor be a part of it? Exactly. But then again, I thought it was going to be something about his past, or Gallifrey or something, that he was looking for. Well, I like that it was... I like that it was the other villain of the week who called them in to rob her bank. You know, yeah. I, I thought that that was also the Doctor Who twist that the, even even the villain who remained a villain in this episode in the end ultimately wasn't a villain in the great grand scheme of her life because she regretted many of the, the terrible things she did. And she asked the doctor to help with at least one of them so that she was not the cause of an extinction of an entire species. Right. And that, again, was a great Doctor Who twist on this this story sure. now I every week time travel yeah <laughs> well it, it's doctor who we got to use time travel to our advantage right and use it well yeah exactly now is what's the pattern of these reviews is i always want to talk about a few of the things that did not work with me because otherwise i would just be a fanboy talking about how much i love doctor who we got to try to at least be critics in a sense because that's what we do here but we're such big fanboys sometimes it's difficult now i will talk about a few things that did not really work for me this in this otherwise wonderful heist movie episode you can pick holes in the overall plot for such a supposedly impenetrable fortress there were a lot of human-sized vents to crawl through throughout the bank that was a little security issue i had 
And while Keely Hawes' villainous Miss Delphox and later Miss Caraboxus was spunky, she's ultimately a one note. She she really yeah. didn't have much definition until maybe that last moment when she's on her deathbed and calls the doctor. Also, while I really enjoyed about the monster. Yeah. While I really enjoyed that monster this week, I could not help but once again be reminded of the episode Hide that I mentioned last week, where the monster haunting the mansion was just searching for its lost mate in the pocket universe. And once again this week, the teller is only working for Miss Carabroxis in order to save his mate, who she was holding prisoner in the private vault. It also reminded me of the Minotaur character from the God Complex that fed off people's faith, and in the end only wanted to be allowed to die so as to not have to kill and feed off of others' faith. In In that sense, despite being an amazing adversary and monster of the week this week, the teller felt somewhat like a rehash of these two monsters from previous seasons put together. And so, I don't know, it felt a little not, you know, I really enjoyed it, but at the same time I was like, ah, oh, we've already seen this. It's just taking two previous monsters, smashing them together, and rehashing a story. I mean, really, the overall story of this was very much Hyde, and that makes me a little concerned that Moffat is recycling some old stories. And Well, I think we need to see this Doctor show that type of mercy. That's true, but I think there's other ways to do it. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, I really enjoyed this episode, I really enjoyed this monster of the week, it's just, I had this nagging feeling that we had seen this already before. Well, and Moffat didn't write this episode by himself. That's true as well. I feel like he stepped in to clean it up. Um, I don't know about that. I think it, I think maybe, maybe it was a, a joint effort, but I think, I think Steve Thompson and Moffat wrote it together. I don't think it was a one, one and then the other came in. Yeah. I, I, I don't know that for certain because I don't know their writing style or how they work together, yeah. but I do know that they work on Sherlock together. And I know Moffat is intimately involved in every episode of that in, in the writing. So, yeah. but anyway, while some of the parts of this episode weren't quite as exciting or mind bendy as I would have hoped they would have been for a Doctor Who heist movie, the ultimate payoff really worked for me. And like all great Moffat scripts, the answers were all seated throughout. So it was not a complete shock. And actually on that, I had another issue because I guessed that the doctor was the architect pretty early on. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. So <laughs> sorry to step on your toes, Dan. I know <laughs> that you were probably going to talk yeah. about that. But so yeah, th- pretty much you know, there were fun little moments and little glimpses at this at the Doctor's dark side again. So all in all, I enjoyed this episode. So a- as I do every week, Dan, I'm going to ask, were there any things that just didn't work for you other than the one I just stepped on your toes about and things you wish it wish had done better and any final thoughts you wanted to throw in before we wrap up for the week? Just the architect thing. Okay. So I knew it was the Doctor. At what um, point do you think you were you were coming to that conclusion? Uh, when he started talking about how someone time traveled there, put all the briefcases. Yeah, that was my first thought too yeah. and then definitely when they reached the private vault it was it was so blatant yeah yeah but again there were other twists mm-hmm. so if that was if the architect was the only twist i would have been disappointed yeah but thankfully they came through with the sporty characters still being alive kind of the twist with the monster yeah so that helped me out yeah absolutely i think they did an excellent job in really leading us down a path and then pulling the rug out from under us and you you want stuff like that to happen in a heist movie i thought they right. did an excellent job it was just that architect was you know it was pretty obvious and maybe it was supposed to be maybe it was supposed to be obvious that it was the doctor doing it so that so we wouldn't focus on any of the other things and it, they could pull the rug out from under us on everything else and if that's the case then bravo because you did it excellent <laughs> but know? now i've reached a point where i'm rolling with peter capaldi's story good it's moving much smoother for me i miss matt oh of course i mean i love those two doctors but i'm getting to the point where i can enjoy the show again i feel comfortable watching it yes absolutely and again it's the pacing and some of this stuff. Okay, I think Peter Capaldi is coming into his own with this. I agree. As a background character. I agree. Yeah. All right. I think that does it again.
again for this week's Doctor Who discussion. Make sure, sure to join us again next week for our discussion of the Season 8, Episode 6, entitled The Caretaker, in which the Doctor comes back to Earth and tries to act all human-like in a normal mm-hmm. setting. It'll be fun. I, I think this is going to be a lot like Matt when he was trying to be a right. worker in a shop and just you know it'll be it'll be a lot of fun or be the roommate the roommate the lodger i love that episode yes <laughs> so uh, i think we'll see a lighter side of the doctor i think i think you're right to be good and clara's going to be trying to keep danny and her and and the doctor apart and not let on that she knows him but he's going to be all like friendly and familiar with her it'll be it'll be fun to watch i think it's going to be a lot of fun again i think it'll be like the robin hood yeah yep. okay all right well speaking of fun and funny stuff let's get into talking about our first sitcom of the year with the premiere of new girl the title the last wedding. Hey girl, what you doing? Hey girl, where you going? Who's that girl? Who's that girl? It's Jess. In the season four premiere, Jess attends a wedding with the guys and makes a pact for each of them to hook up with someone by the end of the night. As the evening progresses, Jess competes with another woman for the best man's attention. Schmidt and Nick entertain an unusual proposal, Winston recuperates from the police academy, and Coach realizes that every woman at the reception is already familiar with him. I'd have to say with New Girl, probably my favorite comedic moment was Nick's call fog of war concern. Yeah. About them having a four-way. <laughs> and then Winston's demonstration of what would happen if they had a four-way. Yes. With the salt and pepper shaker. Yes. Absolutely part of mine as well. Uh, hilarious. Really, really funny stuff. Can I like Schmidt? Kind of freaking out about CC. Get all of that. I like that relationship. I like where it's going. Come this season and come anxious to see what funny stuff they've got in store for us this year. Can I think they haven't missed a beat? Yeah, Just I think they off. need to, to focus on the Schmidt and CC, and then they need to focus on Winston and Coach, and then let yeah. Nick and Jess maybe fall to the back. I mean, they'll still be very important. They're, they're probably the two main characters, but they need to be in the back because last year was major focus on them. So absolutely. Can I think they handled them very well in this episode though oh yeah comment the men's bathroom scene <laughs> was, was a good tone to take it with them and i think we're gonna see a lot of that type of stuff this season absolutely now break out the sex fist and let's get back to reviewing new girl that was great as well new girl season four opener isn't as dirty as it sounds even though jessica beale spends most of the episode slinking around competing with jess to sleep with the best man and nick and schmidt have a protracted discussion about whether or not to engage in a four-way with two bridesmaids okay maybe it is as dirty as it sounds so what were my favorite com- yeah what were my favorite comedic moments Schmidt playing playing up his best Ned Stark by stating that winter is coming and no one goes home alone Schmidt also wasted no time in pointing out the risks of gambling on the unknown contents of a bulky sweater when seeking commitment free post nuptial nookie as you mentioned Winston's salt and pepper analogy to group sex Jessica Beale stating that she watches half an hour of porn each night to stay abreast of current trends for the record one of my favorite lines of the episode is I watch 30 minutes of porn every night just to stay up to date on the latest sex trends. In the coming months, I'm predicting a throwback to missionary. It all depends on what happens in Syria. Coach's line about how he gets laid at so many weddings to the point that he'd already banged every available woman at this particular wedding. It's called being a gorgeous black man with the body of an action figure. (laughs) And finally, Coach's comment about a chocolate pocket being another name for a butt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a lot of great stuff this week really i mean i i agree they came back strong this week yes. a little dirty but strong yes well it's new girl yeah and if you enjoy coaching nick see let's be cops because it's a very funny movie i have not seen it yet i'm probably gonna have to wait till it comes out on dvd but it gets fun good especially if you like these guys yeah all right, well, does that sum it up on New Girl? I think so. All right, let's go into the closing now. We're going to be talking about a lot of stuff. There's going to be a lot of changes going on around here. Yeah. So let's get into all of that. 
On next week's episode, we'll have a News with Nico section with all the TV and entertainment news that has come out in the next week, and we will continue to cover the new series of Doctor Who with an in-depth discussion of the Doctor Who Season 8 Episode 6 episode entitled The Caretaker, and we will have our reviews of the season premieres of Sleepy Hollow and Person of Interest, and our sitcom section including two episodes of Big Bang Theory, New Girl, and Modern Family. So join us next week for that. We will also be kicking off our brand new DC Nation podcast with the premiere of Fox's new DC show Gotham. Also, remember that our entire back catalog is available if you are just getting caught up on any of the shows we cover so go back and catch dan and my thoughts on those episodes the podcast will be returning in full force with new episodes of all our favorite shows as they premiere and of course we will continue with weekly episodes covering doctor who but for even more reviews and information on all our favorite shows check out the blogs available on our websites across the airways.com now roll that pre-recorded closing and also, you could check out our spinoff podcast. Kadiko, you want to help me in describing the first one? Sure. The Helicarriers podcast, which is Andy's podcast on our network, dedicated to covering episodes of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We also have It's Tangent Time, which yeah. is Michael and Wu, and they talk about all kinds of things, geek-related, nerd-related, all the great stuff that we talk about in super in-depth, way more than right. you could do in a single episode of one of our other podcasts. So they dive deep in those episodes and talk about it and sometimes they just go off on major tangents that's why it's called tangent time exactly we also have the back catalog of longbow hunters the arrow podcast which has officially wrapped up but all of our back catalog is available so if you are going back and watching the first two seasons of arrow again you can go back and listen to woo and michael's discussions on any of those episodes and all the new arrow episodes will be along with gotham the flash and Constantine in the new revamped DC Nation podcast, which will be Dan and I talking all things DC. It's going to be awesome. And that will still be available on the regular KTA feed, as well as its own feed on iTunes, just so you're not confused. Yep. Okay, you can also contact our podcast through email, got across the airways at gmail.com, Facebook, Twitter, got across airwaves. There's those on there. It's just across airwaves or Google+. Plus. Kadiko, how else can you cut? You can leave a voicemail at 773-809-3363. Give us thoughts, feedback, or a review of any of the shows we aren't currently reviewing, or tell us what you want us to review. You can do all of that by calling 773-809-3363 and leaving a voicemail. And how can you listen to our show if you don't know so already? You can listen to our show through Stitcher Radio, iTunes, and the Mix Radio Network, thanks to our good friend Jack Stifle. And you can also listen to our episodes by visiting our website at www dot across the airwaves dot com. All right. So once again, for our other ATA podcast hosts, Nikki Amy, Candy Babak, Wu Kim, Guy Michael J. Petty, I'm Dan Schmidt. And I'm Nico Redstick. Okay, until our next episode, we'll catch you on the airwaves. Now return to our regularly scheduled program.